the show today, Solga raises concerns about political killings and government's minimising of load shedding. We'll look ahead to day two of the Sona debate. Bafana Bafana arrived home this morning to celebrations at Oa Tambo, led by the EFF. An update on investigations into the National Lottery Commission and Western Cape residents urged to use water sparingly. All of that over the next hour. 7.02. Let's walk the talk. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Midday Report on 702 and Cape Talk with me, Mandy Wiener. Great to be with you today. What did you make of the uh, welcome home this morning of Bafana Bafana at Oatambo International Airport? Uh, very much a, I hate this word, uh, this description, but a sea of red not green and yellow, because there were so many EFF members there and Julius Malema was there. Interesting, I thought that, and we'll play you this audio, some of the Bafana Bafana uh, team members speaking about Julius Malema, Tuboko Mokwena saying that uh, Malema is his favourite president. And I think it's interesting how we're seeing uh, sports stars, celebrities, making comments about the government. So we've got these comments from Bafana Bafana. Uh, Drikas Duplessis made some comments which were very controversial about our government saying it's the worst government ever and uh, how corrupt it is. And there was a lot of backlash to that. So is this different? Um, and then, of course, you have Sia Kulisi, who um, on the Springboks uh, World Cup uh, victory parade also made comments about the government, but in a more diplomatic tone. So what are your thoughts on on that and the role of sports stars when it comes to criticizing the government and uh, whether they should be showing affiliation to other parties or not? Send me a WhatsApp voice note, 72 1567. Well, let's start with a, a fascinating press conference this morning by the South African Local Government Association, Salga, in KwaZulu-Natal. They've called it a crucial media briefing, addressing the alarming increase in political killings within the province. Now, we know in an election year particularly, we often see a spike in targeted assassinations in hits to do with local councillors, particularly in KwaZulu-Natal. So there is a concern around this. KZN Salga chairperson Tami Tuli saying the sudden surge in political killings is worrying. Uh, there have been no arrests and there have been four killings that happened in KZN last month. Have a listen. The sudden surge in political killings just when we are a month away from the elections is worrying. What is increasing our worry as Salga in Wazunatal is the heavily contested terrain politically and the province has terrible history of black on black violence. What is also not helping is some of our political leaders who are using inflammatory language during their campaigns instead of sticking to political diplomacy while wooing uh, voters. Thus, the incidents of the past few are worrying, and something should be done by the police and those in power to arrest the situation. If we fail to act now, we will become like countries like Colombia where politicians are killed every day. 
So that's on political assassinations. The chairperson of KZN Saga, Tami Tuli, also speaking about the issue of load shedding, um, decrying how much ESCOM has been spending on diesel generators, also responding to the comments made by Sylvia Lucas, the deputy chairperson of the National Council of Provinces, in the SONA debate yesterday, in which she said load shedding is not the end of the world. Have a listen. It was so depressing to hear Honorable MP Sylvia Lucas telling Parliament yesterday that load shading is not the end of the world. That statement was insensitive. For municipalities, load shading has resulted in loss of revenue and service delivery pickets that have affected the economy. Some businesses are unable to pay their dues to municipalities because of load shading which has less than left them with uh, financially limping. Some businesses have even a closed shop because of a uh, load shading. During load shading, water pumps and uh, reservoirs stop working, and that affects our citizen. In some painful cases, patients are turned back by health centers because there is no power or no water. Uh, to operate. Like I had a case when I spoke to one of the doctors in Guazul Natal who told me that they had to turn back patients home because they could not render the services because of uh, the failure uh, 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 which is caused by low shading and water issues. Well, let's speak now to our reporter and Klantla Mabaso, who was at that briefing today. And Klantla, good afternoon to you. Thank you for, for your time. Let's start with this issue of political killings, because that's what the press conference was, was called for. Uh, take us through some of Solga's concerns there. Well, Mandy, you would know that it's one of it's been one of the concerns affecting KwaZulu-Natal, especially when it comes to the killing of councillors. And I think I think that's why the local government association saw it fit for it to step in in this regard. According to its chairperson, Tamsa Nandu, he's basically saying that this is affecting uh, service delivery in local municipalities and other municipalities, mainly because the fact that when a councillor is killed, there has to be another process of re-electing a new councillor be it through a by-election, be it through in electing a new councillor. But mostly his concerns were around the fact that um, these killings, they seem to be on an increasing rate in the province. He also says it appears as though that the killing of politicians is now a lucrative business for hitmen, looking at the amount of hitmen that have been killed. But he made reference to the recent killing of councillor and Wendler Duma was shot and killed saying that the fact that school pupils, four of them were shot, one of them dying on the spot, it now makes it a thing that hitmen are senseless and will do anything to ensure that nothing stands in their way, mate. And then on this issue of electricity um, and ESCOM, uh, I played that audio of uh, what Tami and Tuli had to say in response to Sylvia Lucas's comments. Uh, what do they want to see happening there? Well, they think that the national government should be having a, a, an action plan on how to get rid of load shedding. I think for him as chairperson of the South African local government, he says that uh, local municipalities are bearing the brunt, especially of businesses that can no longer pay their dues because in many instances, for an example, food businesses cannot continue making food or selling food during load shedding, meaning that they have to close for however hours that 
the load shedding is taking place, which then affects their offering, which means they do not make profit. And when they have to pay things like electricity and water to the municipality, then it becomes an issue. In fact, there's a number of businesses have been struggling in this regard, which then makes it difficult for these municipalities to also generate revenue. says it's been one of the greatest concerns. In fact, says the KwaZulu-Natal Premier, that's Nomosa Dubengube, through her upcoming State of the Province address, should actually have a planning table of how the provincial government will be looking at assisting local municipalities and, of course, uh, working with the national government in this regard. He says the uh, uh, utterances by the Member of Parliament there, he described them as inhuman and insensitive, saying that because a lot of people are bearing the brunt and are suffering as a result of load shedding mint. Nklantla, thank you very much. Nklantla Mabaso, EWN KZN reporter, speaking to us there about that briefing from the SA Local Government Association, speaking out about political assassinations. Uh, and watch the story as we uh, head towards the elections, because as they, they made the point today, um, what invariably happens is it's easy for people to become councillors. Um, and when their livelihood depends on it and it becomes a source of of revenue rather than serving the people, that's when so much more is at stake. 702. 702. Mandy Wiener. Weekdays, 12 to 1 p.m. So one of the reasons that we see a spike in targeted assassinations, and there's been a lot of research into this by the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime and other organizations as well, is the availability of firearms, particularly illegal firearms, some of which come from the SA Police Service. Well, Gun-Free South Africa is launching a national campaign against gun-related domestic violence. Carlo Peterson at the launcher of that joining us now. Carlo, good afternoon to you. Tell us about this national campaign. Good afternoon, Mandy. Yes, and so speaking to Gun-Free South Africa Director Dal Kirsten earlier, she mentioned that at least four women are shot dead in South Africa every day and that close to a third of female homicides in the country are gun-related. She gave us a figure there of 1,300 women killed in South Africa in the last year. So this, this campaign they're busy with, it's called Remove the Trigger, um, and it at this stage... Carlo? Uh, sorry, we lost you for a second, but you're back. Okay, yes, so, so, so the campaign, it's called Remove the Trigger, Um, And at this stage, it's to create awareness for women who find themselves in abusive relationships with partners who have firearms. Um, And the aim is to to create awareness for these women to approach the courts um, and seek to have uh, those firearms removed. Um, She says Gunfree South Africa will continue collecting data and working with stakeholders to come up with a comprehensive strategy to remedy the, the situation in future. So, so how did they, and have they made clear yet, how they intend to reduce the domestic violence? Is it about getting the firearms away from people who may potentially use them for? Yes. So, so, so what she says is that there is legislation in place. Um, and what the campaign will aim to do is to create more awareness around this legislation to inform um, women out there that they can approach police and the judiciary to get um, those firearms removed from the perpetrators. Carlo, thank you very much. Uh, Carlo Peterson, EWN reporter, speaking to us there about this campaign uh, that is being launched uh, to remove firearms from people who may use them dangerously, but also uh, to encourage women to be able to lean on the criminal justice system.
702. The Midday Report with Mandy Wiener. Let's walk the talk. AFCON bronze medal winners Bafana Bafana arriving at Oatambo International Airport this morning um, and a big celebration that resembled more of a political rally really because uh, the EFF in red were there, Julius Malema, the commander-in-chief of the EFF was there as well. So too was Mwanda Mateza, EWN sports reporter who's joining us now. Mwanda, thank you so much for, uh, for coming in. So um, just describe to us the scene this morning because I saw some visuals and it looked like a, a lot of red. Uh, good afternoon Mandy, pleasure to be here. Uh, yeah well one of the few first things that jumped out of you, there was no getting around it, was the fact that uh, there was just a sea of red as you arrived at Oratambo International this morning. Uh, we got there at around 4am which was when Bafana were scheduled to arrive and um, you know there was still already then a lively uh, atmosphere and an energetic crowd who were waiting there uh, anticipating the arrival of Bafana Bafana and like you say, it was a sea of red everywhere. And uh, some of the uh, supporters that we spoke to uh, who had been at the airport since last night and stayed uh, overnight and slept at the airport so that they could be sure, part of the festivities. Commitment. Yeah, it is. And I think, well, um, you know, when it comes to events such as this, everybody, uh, there will be always be groups that try to take over in one way or another, whether it is a particular party or a particular broadcaster or an organization or anything like that. It does happen. It did happen with the Springboks last year as well and this time I think it was the EFF and that's probably what they wanted anyways and I'd say that there was a few hundred maybe even up to a thousand or a little more uh, supporters at the venue and more than 90% were EFF and you saw you know handfuls of people um, you know in their work gear or in their school uniform and some in their Bafana replica jerseys and the like uh, but yeah the, the point was for the EFF to be the talking point at the end of the day. And the EFF was the talking point so for example Tiboko Mokwena one of the, the players made some comments about uh, the EFF and Julius Maleba. H- have a listen. First of all, Dumelang. I know Kitavila will want to present the Julius. He's my favorite president in the country. So, Okay, by the way, uh, thank you. So that's what uh, Tabucho Mokwena had to say. Um, and then Julius Malema himself was there and uh, he spoke to the media. What did he have to say? Yeah, well, um, Julius uh, was talking about the way that uh, the EFF have supported uh, Bafana Bafana throughout. And he's talked about how at all the games that you will see an EFF supporter or three or uh, an EFF number. Uh, regalia or flags at Bafana Games, even when there were only a couple of hundred at F&B Stadium. But he took exception a little bit uh, to the fact that uh, the crowd wasn't as diverse as he would have liked. We must be stronger together in all sports and courts. It must not be selective and racialized. Uh, uh, you have uh, the whole contingent of people coming to receive Bafana Bafana. You can't see hardly two white people. And it's something you must not talk about because you are dividing us. But when it is a white sport, we are all there, uh, including those who have got no idea about the sport. 
so to be clear, the uh, sports minister Zizi Kodua was there. Uh, yeah. Danny Jordan was there as well. What kind of message was coming across from them? Um, well, Zizi Kodua, the minister, was happy that Bafana have restored pride and there's some sort of dignity with South African football once again. And he says it's a moment of unity and a moment of hope where we can look at the national team with pride once again. And uh, Danny Jordan himself uh, spoke a lot about, well, Bafana have done well. Uh, but one question that he... What about bonuses? Yes, exactly. That was the question that he was asked. Now, Bafana stand to gain 47 million rand for making the semis, uh, around about that figure, converting uh, from dollars. Um, and, you know, the question was asked, it was the only question that we were allowed, actually, in the uh, press briefing afterwards. And uh, he didn't give a clear answer, and he spoke about, well, you know, people need to discuss first with the players, even after there was an agreement that was uh, signed before the players had departed for the tournament. And, yeah, once again, it's not something that made Julius happy at all. We were, we're looking at the occasion, so you must have a sense of occasion. The, the fact that Denny must go still remains. He needs to go, but for now we want to concentrate on celebrating Bafana Bafana and not, uh, you know, spoil the whole celebration with politics of football. Why is this always an issue, Mawanda? They can't sort it out. The same thing happens with Banyana Banyana. Like... I don't understand how this this keeps happening. And Danny Jordan must be under some kind of pressure. Yeah, um, like I said, it it is a thing where people want to take over in one way or another. And funny enough, uh, Julius did not... um address the crowd from the podium and he only spoke to the media for a few minutes afterwards. Uh, and Danny Ordan, um he is an embattled leader and he is not a very popular figure amongst the football fraternity really anywhere. Um, where there is pressure for him to resign, whether he will I don't think it's something that is likely anytime soon. Um, and whether there will be a change in his leadership style I doubt that as well. Mawanda Mateza, EWN sports reporter, bringing us uh, that report from the airport this morning with Bafana Bafana being welcomed back to South Africa. Hi, 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 Mindy. How are you? I think for those players, Bafana Bafana players, to mention uh, Julius Malima in any event like that one, I think it's wrong, to be honest. I mean, let them do it on their own space. There, we are celebrating their achievement. Let's forget about politics a little bit, just for a moment and celebrate what the country has achieved. Not like promoting a politician. Uh, To me, I think that's wrong. eh? They can do it on their own time, like in their their TikTok or whatsoever video, not like in an event whereby the whole country is watching, you know. Mendy, with the issue of sports stars, um, good day, Mendy. Um, I think on 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 this is my view on the on the ballot paper, there's no patriotic uh, uh, vote. It's an election vote, so I think they are allowed to have uh, preferences of which government uh, or to rule because this affects them and their families as well. 702, the midday report, Monday to Friday, 12 to 1 p.m. 12.28 on the Midday Report. Lots of uh, WhatsApp voice notes and messages in response to that conversation around Bafana Bafana, uh, politics, the EFF, all of that. Uh, Robbie says, Hi Mandy, Bafana Bafana will certainly not get my vote due to its apparent affiliation to the EFF. Uh, that's from Robbie. Look, I don't think the whole um, 
team is affiliated to, to the EFF. Some of the players were speaking in support of Julius Malema. Um, and then Len Moloko, Moloko says, but to be fair, Mandy Wiener, on the Bafana salaries issue, it's an issue between Safa and the players. Safa ain't a government entity. Same as yours and mine salary is never discussed by our employers. Look, I would argue against that, considering the fact that they're a national team. So um, I think that it is in the public interest for us to know about that. And um, of course, the South African Football Association would fall under um, a government entity because it uh, is in charge of that. So the Minister of Sport still has authorization over them. Um, so I think that they need to sort out this bonuses issue. They need to have clarity. It can't be a fight every single time our teams do perform well. What a joke. Hi, this is John from Mikorwalani. <laughs> What's it, Bafana? Bafana won? I couldn't remember. I forgot. They won anything. And then you get all these incompetent politicians going to their port to buy votes. My joke, what a bunch of clowns. Hi, Mindy. I personally don't see anything wrong in somebody being acknowledged. Mokoyana was just uh, acknowledging uh, Julius Malema, so there was nothing wrong. The part that uh, bothered me, and I sent the same message to Bongani Bingo this morning, I didn't see the white people there. That bothers me. Is it just a fallacy that the sports is bringing us South Africans together or what? That is my problem. Thanks, Mindy. Bye. I think there's a difference between acknowledging, like uh, we see you, and you are my favorite president in the country, which is what Tabo Makwena said to Julius Malema. So I do think there's a difference between acknowledging and lauding um, and saying that I am in favor of you over our, over our national president. What's up, Mandy? On 072-702-1702. I'm Mandy. I personally find the comments about politics from the national team players very um, unacceptable because um, these are people who are in a platform that is uh, representing the nation. Once you bring in political parties, you're going to divide us because there are so many different political parties represented in that uh, event. Now I came all the way uh, for you to support you. But here you are now mentioning my direct driver. So that's very immature for these guys to bring in politics to this. As much as I'm a big fan of Trigger Stuplessy too, but I totally disagree with his comments. Well, I, uh, with the platform he used to raise his comments. Thank you. Hi, Mandy. It's unfortunate that the EFF chose to put party before country hey, but what's new that's what our politicians do they care more for their political parties than they do for the country or national assets uh, in any case uh, let's just hope that uh, their support is uh, genuine and that uh, they'll maintain it consistently even after this election year yeah thanks farai Hey, Farai, this is exactly the point, right? Is that I've, I keep consistently saying this. We're in an election year. Everything has to be viewed through the prism of an election year. The EFF knows how to campaign and they know how to run a populist campaign. And uh, going to the airport today to welcome back Bafana Bafana in red with all the EFF flags was no mistake. It was uh, intentional and it was a clever politics. 7.02, The Midday Report, Monday to Friday, 12 to 1 p.m.
let's go to the courts as we do every day pretty much. It feels really like we every day are going to the Senzo Miyua trial to get an update on a case that does not move. It just, it feels like every day is just a repeat. Um, so today, Khamotsu Modise, EWN reporter, is gracing us in studio. What a treat. Thank you for, for coming in today. It feels good to be here, Bandy. Did you just need a break from that courtroom? Yeah, just 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 a little break, you know. It's just, it's going, uh, we joke that it's a, a soap opera, right? But there's a trial within a trial and it just feels like, and I've covered many criminal trials and yeah. sometimes they move slowly, but this one really feels like it is glacial. Yeah. And it's, it's so repetitive, you know, um, very technical, you know, and, and I suppose you're always trying to bottom line everything. So this is why certain things are important. And I think the bottom line from this week is that Bongani Ndanzi is denying a lot of what the state is saying. He's denying interactions with this Dominic Mjiako guy who is said to be his lawyer. He's denying um, signing the confession statements intentionally. He says the first one that he signed, uh, he was assaulted. Uh, severely into signing and he says the second one that he signed he was tricked into signing he thought that he was signing so he'd be given a shower and a phone call and he says he had no idea that he was signing a self-incriminating statement and I think that's the crux of his uh, his confession and what he's been saying on, on, on the witness stand So at the end of the day what is really at stake here is um, admissions yeah. and confessions um, and that's why this is so so crucial right yes. so um, h- how much of the trial turns on whether these can be admitted or not well, what happens after this? Um, so, I mean, if they do admit or they don't admit these confession statements, the the move by the state will then be informed from this. So whether the state continues to work to prove their case against the first two accused will be determined by this. If um, the state can successfully have these confession statements admitted for the first two accused, then their work is done with Bongani Danzi and Muskau Kulelasbia, and they'll start building a more clear case around the other three. However, if if these confession statements are not admitted, I mean, the state still has to do a lot more work, right? Um, even with the first two accused. But I can tell you that these statements will make their job much easier if they are admitted. And so this is why this is so important. I mean, the state keeps on saying, of course, they do have more um, evidence. They've got more um, details and information around the first two accused. But these confession statements are rather crucial for their case. And then, of course, the, the specter of Kelly Kumalo still hangs over this entire trial because she was mentioned yeah. briefly and then we moved on. Yeah. So wh- wh- where is all of that? So this is the danger, I think, of having such a lengthy trial within a trial where there's very little boundaries around how and whether we enter into certain you know, um, parts of evidence. Remember, trials within a trial are meant to be closed. So then they, don't, they are not meant to deal with the merits of the case. We're supposed to be steering clear of anything outside of whether these statements are admissible. But we found ourselves two weeks ago with um, statements and affidavits being read that were not really meant to be read. And that's where her name popped out. This was an affidavit um, from uh, Brigadier Bongani Gininda that he'd made when he was applying for the J50 warrants of arrest for the for the accused. And so really the state had no intention of mentioning her right now. The state had no intention of involving her in the matter right now. What we now know from that statement is that the state or at least police are of the view that she is the mastermind or at least called the hit. Um, it has not women. been charged. It has not been charged. We know from that statement also that police had the intention of charging her. The NPA didn't want to move forward 
but yet the sense that we got or the sense that I got is that the NPA wants to finish with these guys who are currently in the dock and then progress with the case against her. I think that's what many people forget. So if the men in the dock are not um, convicted of this of this crime, it will be that much difficult to link Kelly Kumalo to this because then, you know, who would she have who would she have sent or commissioned to carry out this crime? Um, you know, the conviction and of I women... I imagine it's too late to offer plea deals as well and then they yep. lose credibility as witnesses. Yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. I mean, uh, police have already gone through the plea deal stage, at least with Mongani and Danzi. We know also from those statements um, that there was con- there were conversations around um, a plea deal. And we actually were not supposed to know that because we know the law says if we have a conversation around you turning state witness, it should never be mentioned ever again. But again, the danger of a long tedious exercise that we've been seeing in this trial within a trial has found us even in murky grounds with the law. Back to court with you. Thank you for, for popping in. Uh, I hope you get a bit of a, a break because it looks like that, that sense of me you were matter is going to go on and on. 702. 702. Mandy Weiner. 12 to 1 p.m. Well, let's get an update now on the trial of um, the surgeon, uh, Professor Peter Bill. That one's continuing as well. Bernadette Wicks is following that for us. Bernadette, good afternoon to you. Give us an update there. Um, Mandy, the fourth witness has just taken the stand this afternoon. The third witness, who was um, one of the children involved in this case's mother, wrapped up her evidence a short while ago. And now we have um, another pediatrician testifying. And she actually treated um, a one of, the, one, of the, one of the children at the center of this case, a three-year-old little boy, um, after his surgery. And her evidence has really focused so far um, on what she found when she went to go treat him when he was running into complications um, following the following the procedure that he underwent. Uh, do you get the sense that you say the four, fourth witness is on the stand? Is there some progress uh, happening here? And how many more witnesses can we expect from the state? Mm. So we did see the first witness took a week to wrap up um, his evidence on the stand. Um, but the other witnesses do seem to be going quite a lot faster. And I do expect that this particular witness, because her evidence will really be um, will really be focused on only one case, will be probably relatively fast. We do know that the state has 38 or 39 witnesses um, who it could potentially call, but whether or not these will all be called still remains to be seen. Bernadette, thank you very much. Uh, Bernadette Wicks, EWN reporter, with an update on the uh, Peter Beale uh, murder. The other uh, the murder trial, the other case we're watching is the multi-murder and rape accused Safiso Mkwanazi. He is um, in court as well, the investigating officer who arrested him returning to the witness stand today. What's up, Mandy? On 072-702-1702. Hi, Mandy. I don't know what the fuss is about because Bafana Bafana did not win the World Cup. They did not win the AFCON. They came third. So they can't expect people to gather at the airport like they did while they were welcoming the spring box and say, no, white people were not there and so forth. They did not win the tournament. They did not win the World Cup. But we do congratulate them for coming third after so many years of not getting anything. So people must stop. This is Prince from Mabupan. Hi, Mandy. Good afternoon to you. And yeah, this is Joe from Watve. It was a good thing for the people that went to welcome Bafana Bafana at the airport. But then to politicize the event, that was wrong because 
yeah they should have gone there in the with the spirit of the sportsmanship that's how i feel it thank you on the uh, WhatsApp line, why were the EFF members not wearing Bafana Bafana supporters shirts if they were truly there in support of the team? They were in EFF supporters shirts, which makes it obvious who they were there to support. And then Bafana Bafana came third. They did not win the cup. We Why should we go to the airport to celebrate mediocrity? Uh, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, uh, my new favorite saying is, uh, should we clap for a fish that's swimming? Because that is a little bit like what we are doing here. Bafana Bafana did far better than what we expected. Uh, we are always looking for something to celebrate in, in this country. And this is it. 702. The Midday Report with Mandy Wiener. Let's walk the talk. Let's go to Parliament now. Quite a few things happening in Parliament today. Uh, We're going to have a look at a few different portfolio committees. Uh, The Portfolio Committee on Justice, the Portfolio Committee on Trade, Industry and Competition, uh, the Portfolio Committee on Higher Education, all of those uh, meeting today. Let's start with Babalo and Denze, who's having a look at the Justice and Correctional Services Committee, discussing the Deputy Public Protector vacancy and a briefing on the suspension of magistrates. Babalo, uh, take us through what's happening there. Uh, Yes, indeed, Mandy. But just starting with the Deputy Public Protector process, and the committee did discuss this process. Um, We all know that they're looking for a fit and proper person, an advocate or attorney admitted and practiced for at least 10 years. Um, They could either be a legal academic with 10 years experience or someone who's worked you know, in the legal system for 10 years. Now, where they are at the moment is that they still, you know, getting these um, CVs being submitted and applications. They initially had only 10 people apply, but that number has grown and it's currently standing at 18 applicants at the moment. So they will be dealing with the short listing of these 18, or if there are more that apply by the closing date, which is on Friday this week. So they will shortlist on Tuesday next week. So we're still at the beginning of this process, but the committee does want it completed as soon as possible, you know, with this sixth term of parliament and parliament rising on the 31st of March. Uh, so, but that's not all the committee touched on, Mandy. They also dealt with, you know, some serious and concerning matters related to magistrates and the suspension of these magistrates and this report by the magistrates commission that was discussed by the committee. Um, the committee says the commission itself is dysfunctional and the committee is dealing with some serious cases involving magistrates from sexual harassment uh, to gambling during office hours, as well as sexual assault or rape. And, you know, numbers like DA's Glenis Breitenbach saying it's quite outrageous that the committee to be discussing a man of rape, you know, should still mm-hmm. sit on the bench, should still sit on the bench. So they two issues that sure. came up during the committee. And um, they've wrapped right. up now. They will be meet- meeting next week to wrap up the deputy public protector process. Babalo, thank you. Babalo and Denze, EWN reporter on the Portfolio Committee on Justice and Correctional Services. Let's go now to the Portfolio Committee on Trade, Industry and Competition, which is getting an update from the SIU and the NPA on the allegations at the National Lotteries Commission. Lindsay Dentlinger is there. Lindsay, take us through what's happened today. Good afternoon, Mandy. Well, three-hour-long presentation from the Special Investigating Unit detailing the extent of more than three years of investigations, not too much new, Mandy, by way of, um, you know, processes that have been unfolding. We hear a lot about this, um, but just the overall um, summation from the SIU 
uh, about the, the Lottery Commission, the head, Andy Mutibi, calling it a criminal enterprise. Uh, said it was a web, um, a syndicate that was working with officials um, uh, who are at the heart of helping people to defraud the commission. And sadly, um, so many of the beneficiaries whom these projects are ostensibly intended for uh, never get to realize the effects. 1.4 billion rand, Andy, the fraud that has been uncovered, and that is just in the period between uh, 2020 and 2024 that the SIU has been working on. So quite shocking revelations. And of course, big names that we've already heard, celebrities, again, their names being brought up here today, uh, musician Arthur Mafakate, uh, Terry uh, um, Peto, the actress, their homes being uh, seized and sold off because they are believed to have been bought with these ill-gotten gains, Mandy. Lindsay, thank you. Lindsay Dentlinger there. And of course, uh, the work done by Raymond Joseph, our colleague on uh, revealing a lot of this is is crucial as well. So from that Portfolio Committee on Trade, Industry and Competition uh, to the Portfolio Committee on Higher Education, a briefing by NSFAS, the National Student Financial Aid Scheme, and Tutuzelo Nene is there for us. And Tutuzelo, take us through that committee hearing. Um, good afternoon, Mandy. Um, the first part of the briefing uh, dealt with the audit of NSFAS's financial report um, for the 2021-2022 uh, financial year and, uh, um, you know, the AGES office um, announcing an adverse audit finding for, for this period, which basically means, Mandy, that the figures presented um, you know, uh, to the AGES office from the scheme's financial statements were not reliable and could not be tested. Uh, now, the AGES office telling the committee that the numbers did not end up add up between the amounts owed by institutions to NSFAS uh, and also amounts due to institutions from NSFAS. And there were also issues of incorrect student accounts data, which could not be verified um, so, and the report being tabled today is uh, is delayed by 15 months, uh, and the AGES office uh, attributing this to challenges it encountered um, along the way mm-hmm. at various institutions and as well as within NSFAS uh, because they had to send some of those financial reports back, you right. know, for them to be fixed, um, information to be added or omitted, uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, the scheme is also expected to give an update. Uh, on the student funding for this current academic year uh, and also an update on the Everquan's report regarding allegations of corruption at NSFAS. We'll be watching that one closely. And to Tuzelo Nene, EWN reporter. So a wrap there from all of our parliamentary reporters on various developments taking place today. 702, the Midday Report, Monday to Friday, 12 to 1 p.m. Let's end off the show with a call from the Department of Water and Sanitation in the Western Cape to to citizens to use water sparingly because there is a reported slight decline in dam levels. Let's speak now to Ntombizanele Bila Mupariwa, who is the Western Cape Provincial Head at the Department of uh, Water and Sanitation. Good afternoon. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for your time. Hi. Good afternoon. Andy, thank you for having us. Uh, tell us about the uh, week-on-week decline in dam levels um, and, and what the implications of that are. No, thank you so much, Wendy. Uh, we have seen a, a, a decline in dam levels, in, which is consistent with uh, the, the scorching of hot weather conditions during the first two months of the year. 
And these sweltering high temperatures we have experienced, and this is due to the high water usage, as you know, at this point in time in the Western Cape, most of the agricultural sector, they are abstracting water for irrigation. And contributing to that as well is a, sli- is, is, a, is a slight decline in terms of our dam levels, and this is also due to the hot weather that we are currently experiencing. For an example, Mandy, if you look at last year, one of our biggest dam, which is Tiervatis Cliff Dam, um, currently it wa- it's, it's sitting at uh, 75.21% as compared to last year, which was 54%, and compared to 20. 20- 2018, which was 30.83%. That is a concern to us, but we are still uh, satisfied. We are still happy within within the department, but we want to urge all water users to please use water sparingly because we don't know due to climate mm. change what is going to happen in the next rainfall. We are not sure whether we are going to have high rainfall or we are going to get average or low rainfall. And we know how important it was when a few years ago around day zero, all of the concerns, how important it was to get the the public buy-in. How do you ensure that you're not alarmist, but still that you remind people to, to use water sparingly? We do have a lot of awareness where we, we, we speak to the municipalities. All spheres of government, we're working very closely with them. What we also do on a quarterly basis, because we don't want to do it once a year, we check on the model that measures the water levels in to measure the, the incoming as well as, as the outcoming. So that module will determine to us whether we have to instill the water restrictions or not. So in that way, we are able to communicate with all our water users and also warn the communities at large to, to use water sparingly. Thank you so much for making time to speak to us today. Ntombi Zanele Bila Mupariwa, who's the Department of Water and Sanitation, Western Cape Provincial Head. The Midday Report. Thank you very much for joining us. Don't forget uh, there is day two of the SONA debate taking place this afternoon. Yesterday we were told that load shedding is not the end of the world. Who knows what we'll be told today.